Dr. Kristen Oja here, entrepreneur and functional medicine expert. Welcome to Little By Podcast, where our goal is to empower you to achieve optimal health, one step and one episode at a time. Taking a functional medicine approach will cover a variety of health and wellness topics, from how to optimize performance to how to balance your hormones and everything in between. This podcast is for educational purposes only, so please be sure to consult your healthcare provider before incorporating any changes into your daily routine. Now grab your headphones and let's go for a walk as we take steps towards becoming your best self. I'm so excited to introduce my friend, colleague at Stat Wellness, and most importantly, my sister, Dr. Caitlin Raymond. Caitlin is a physical therapist, trainer, and coach. She graduated from Georgia State University with her doctorate of physical therapy and is trained in rehab-based Pilates through Polestar. She's also a certified personal trainer. While Caitlin specializes in pelvic floor dysfunction, she is also trained in orthopedic injuries, optimizing movement patterns, and dry needling. Caitlin recently got married this year right before the pandemic, so she was able to take her honeymoon, and her and her husband have an adorable puppy, Arbor. They love to spend time outside with their family and friends. So be sure to follow at poised underscore PT, and you're going to get some really great exercise and physical therapy motivation. So now let's get started with the show and discuss why movement matters. So Caitlin, we have all heard that exercise is beneficial for our health. We all know that we need to be moving more, but why does the way we move matter? So movement is so important for us. Just like you said, movement is medicine. Our bodies are made to move and we feel better when we are moving. Maybe you've noticed that if you've sat more during the pandemic and you're like, oh, my mood's affected all these things. It's because our bodies are made to move and it makes us feel better. But some of us have pain when we move. And that is unfortunate because we really shouldn't be in pain when we move. It actually tells some of our muscles not to work. It tells our brain that maybe this isn't a good idea. So it's important that when we're moving, we're thinking about, okay, how do I feel? Am I using my muscles, the ones I should be using, especially if you're doing intentional exercise like strength training. It's so important for you to be educated on if I'm doing this deadlift, am I feeling it in my back extensors, my glutes, my hamstrings, and then maybe even some quads when we pull it off the ground. So thinking about, okay, I know where I'm supposed to be feeling it. I know that I'm having good alignment in my body and that I'm using my breath properly. And our body is one system, even though we like to look at it in different parts if we're having pain, like it's just my neck, but we're all connected as one. And so we need to look at the whole picture, especially when we're moving, because even though it might not seem like our ankle mobility is important when we're doing something with our arms or our core or bending in our hips, it does play a role. So it's important to kind of be more mindful and in your own body, like being, okay, how do I feel? How does it feel when I move these certain ways? And I think it's really important to understand that a lot of people don't actually pay attention to the way they move, especially if they feel good. Like I know for me, one of the things is I I really, I don't have any aches or pains. I'm very fortunate. So I don't pay attention to the way I'm moving through my daily activities. So whether I'm doing laundry or picking up Emery, my daughter, I'm not paying attention necessarily to the way I move. And I think that's something that we all need to think about to prevent injury because you move a lot throughout the day. And if you're moving poorly, it's going to maybe not impact you tomorrow, but maybe in 10 years. So Caitlin, being a physical therapist at Stat Wellness, I know you do a lot of pelvic floor dysfunction, but you also treat physical conditions or post-orthopedic surgery or a wide variety of things. What would you say are some of the most common injuries or physical complaints that you hear from your patients on a regular basis? 
I feel like low back pain is probably at the top. I was actually just reading something and it said that 80% of the general population in the United States will develop low back pain at one point in their life. And if you have experienced low back pain, you probably realize that it flares up a few times. So it's like, it's not just like one bout and then you're good forever. Although it, you should be, and we could get to those points if we really are mindful about how we're moving and strengthening and getting in good routines. But having that pain, I feel like the spine is probably the biggest thing that I see, like whether it's your neck, your upper back or your low back and low back just has more popularity if people are always like my low back. But I also see a lot of people coming in maybe with hip or shoulder things, but I do believe it sometimes goes back to our spine too. So people will be like, I'm here because my shoulder pain has gotten so bad, but they have a really long history of back pain that they just kind of live with. And so, like I said before, our body is one thing. And so when we're not moving well, maybe in our thoracic spine, so that upper part of our spine, and so that's going to affect what our shoulder's doing. And so then after a long time of maybe being fearful of moving in our spine, we're not going to have that big of range of motion in our shoulder, or we're going to get too much motion from our shoulder because because we're not getting it from our spine. And so those are the kind of chain reactions I see with a lot of my patients. And then getting into pelvic floor dysfunction too, just briefly, I read a research article that out of all the people who come to physical therapy for back pain or even hip pain or anything like that, 80 to 90% of them also had pelvic floor dysfunction. And so it's all these different things that are adding up to people having these like movement dysfunctions and these injuries. And so it's so important to look at the person as a whole and be like, okay, how are you moving? What are you doing during your day? How does it feel when you're doing that during your day and that kind of stuff? So awareness is key. So you said 80% of people will experience back pain at some point in their life. Yes. That is a huge number. I mean, 80%. What do you think? Like, why is that? Why are we seeing that 80% of people have back pain at some point? What are some variables that play a role? I think our posture during the day plays a big role. So especially now with the pandemic, we're all sitting more and we're probably sitting on the couch or our bed. We've turned it into our workstation. We get in these twisted positions where I know sometimes I like to start leaning to my left. And so I'm constantly leaning to my left and then I develop more tightness on my left side of my spine and stuff like that. So people are in these postures all day and they're not realizing that their muscles on that side might get a little shortened. Other muscles get lengthened. And with sitting, it shows us in research that we actually shut our glutes off more when they're in that lengthened position. So back to being intentional, when you do have time to move, it is harder to activate your glutes if you sit a long time during the day. And so you want to be mindful about like, okay, am I squeezing my glutes during this exercise? Because when we're not having good hip stability, it kind of goes into our back. And like you said, we're doing stuff all day. We're picking up laundry, we're picking up our kids. We're not thinking about it. We're moving quickly. We're maybe holding our breath all those things. And we're just not in our bodies. Well, I know you talked about activating your glutes and everything. And I read a study and I don't remember the exact statistics, but even just having a stand-up desk has decreased low back pain. So if you guys are working from home or maybe you're back in an office with the pandemic, getting a stand-up desk can make a big difference with back pain. What about the core? Like people talk all about how like you've got to engage your core and work your core to support your back. Is that true? Do you think a lot of back pain and aches stem from a weakened core? I think that's definitely part of it, but not all of it. I was actually just doing some research on deadlifts because I personally love deadlifts, but I hear over and over and over and over again, people say I cannot do a deadlift because it hurts my back. 
I think a lot of times why we keep having back pain is because we are not strengthening our back muscles. We are avoiding so many movements. So I firsthand know what back pain feels like. I actually was picking up a Frisbee and I got like intense shooting back pain. And I knew in my head that I needed to move and that it was going to be okay if I moved in ways that felt good in my body and then slowly went back to strengthening and my back pain lasted two days. But I knew then if, if I hadn't had that knowledge, I would have been so scared because it felt so intense going down my leg. It felt like I couldn't move. I was like really having to take some deep breaths. And if I didn't have the education I did, I would have been like, I need to go lay down. Like I need to lay down. I need to rest. And so then our muscle mass goes down if we're not moving. It goes down quickly. And so then it just kind of is a vicious cycle of us not being strong. We are afraid to do movements. And when we move with fear, it is not good movement patterns. And so it's kind of like that vicious cycle of we need to strengthen our core. Yes, we definitely need to strengthen our core. And most people don't even know how to activate their deep core. So that's a huge part. But then we also need to strengthen the actual back. And if we're sitting all day, I listened to a podcast once. They called the chair uh, pseudo fetus because we are literally sitting in the way that you are in the womb. And you know why you have babies do tummy time so much? Because you need to build those extensors. And so we're sitting all day and our back muscles are stretched out. Our glutes are not working. And then we like get up and try to move around and our muscles like aren't functioning like they should. So in addition to a stand-up desk, do the balls, like sitting on a ball, does that make a difference with back or core or posture? A lot of people will say that you can't have bad posture sitting on a ball. I don't think that's necessarily true. <laughs> I think you still could have bad posture. My biggest thing is the best posture is the next posture. So sitting for a short period of time, great. Standing for a short period of time, great. Sit on the ball for a little bit walk around, grab some water, do a lap when you're on the phone doing a meeting or something. Sitting or standing all day is not great. So yes, stand-up desks, but I like the ones that kind of go up and down best. So variety is key. Variety is key. So what are some other things lifestyle? So we know sitting is going to impact the back pain. What other variables? So core, we talked about how we need to engage our core. Do you think that diet, so one of the things, of course, like I take a functional medicine approach. Do you think that our diet, our lifestyle, do you think those things impact back pain, muscle health, all of those things? Oh, a hundred percent. I think that first off, a lot of us aren't getting enough protein in our diet. And so I think that's really beneficial, especially if you're doing like strength training and different exercises, you need to have more protein for recovery. You know, more than than I do about that. And then also our sleep. I think that's the one thing that we just don't talk about enough. We all just like pride ourselves on being so busy and getting up early and doing this and doing this and like going to bed late. You need to prioritize sleep because that's when our body recovers. Again, you know more about this than I do, but I think that that plays a huge role in how you'll even do your success in rehab or your success working out. Those two things are huge diet and sleep and stress levels. (laughs) That's a really good point. There's actually a good amount of data that our deep sleep is the one where our body is really working on healing, really recovering from our workouts throughout the day, just our daily movement. So I suggest having a wearable like a, or a ring or a whoop band and see how you're actually sleeping. What is your quality? And not only I have patients all the time tell me that they're in bed for eight hours. Like they go to bed at 10 and they wake up at six. But when we actually talk about the quality of their sleep, they are talking 
tossing and turning. Maybe they're getting up a few times to use the bathroom, which we should talk about with pelvic floor dysfunction, (laughs) but they're not actually getting into that deep sleep. So if you guys have any kind of way of tracking your sleep, really look and see what percentage of your deep sleep you're getting. I really aim to get about 20% of deep sleep per night to really help with muscle recovery. I think that's great when we're talking about lifestyle. So we know that we're sitting, we know that sleep plays a role. We know core engagement plays a role, moving positions frequently throughout the day play a role. The other thing, just to like add in, you mentioned protein. I really think one of the other lifestyle variables is we all are walking around with some degree of inflammation and we're not talking about the acute inflammation, which that is Caitlin's space. The acute inflammation is you roll your ankle and it swells. You have all of your cytokines and cells kind of flooding the scene to help heal that tissue. We're not talking about acute inflammation. That's actually very positive. I'm talking about low grade chronic inflammation that is going to make you more likely to get injured throughout the day. And that can be anything from just some general inflammation. So your back is already a little bit damaged or your connective tissue is not as strong as it, as it should be. One of the things that we talk about when we talk about protein is different amino acids. And one of the things that my patients have seen, and I don't know if this is something that you have any personal experience with, but I know that my nails, my hair, my skin, they are stronger when I consistently take collagen. So I really like to do a collagen with vitamin C because vitamin C can help you utilize that collagen more effectively. Have you ever tried collagen or what, what are your thoughts on that? I actually love it. That was the first thing that I started eating after not being a vegetarian was collagen. At first, it took me a while to get over, even though you don't taste it. And then I actually put collagen in my coffee this morning. I've been trying to get in a good habit. I started with a little bit of a flavored one, and now I do the non-flavored, but I really do like it. And I do see differences in my life personally, but I haven't asked my patients. Yeah. I think consistency, I think you really need to be doing it for three months. So maybe try for three months. Let us know, send us a message on Instagram or email us. If, if you have noticed improvements with collagen, any other lifestyle variables that you think we're missing? Well, I want to touch on stress. You kind of talked about how we have like inflammation in our body. And I know that a lot of that sometimes is from cortisol and stuff like that. Again, not my space. Kristen can explain that better. But what I see a ton with my patients is they come in and their sympathetic system is like on overdrive. And I think that plays a big role with our getting good effects from exercise. So basically getting good, like you feel good after you exercise, you see changes, all this stuff. I think it plays a big role if you are sympathetic driven are also getting some of that parasympathetic system regulation. And so when it comes to my space in physical therapy, a lot of people are in pain. That's why they're coming to see me. Pain is a very personal thing. It's subjective. How we process pain really matters what environment we're in, what our history with pain is, what we believe about pain, what we think happened when we were first having the pain. It's not just about what is happening to the tissue. We can actually experience pain without having any tissue damage. So when I see people, I really start to talk about the parasympathetic system because calming down our nervous system plays a huge part in our recovery. And there's something I really like to do. It's called gut smashing. It's just one of the tools to help regulate your parasympathetic system along with deep breathing and maybe putting your feet up a wall, anything like that, where you can, I have it on my Instagram page and Jill Miller who does yoga tune up. She talks about this a lot, but you lay on top of like a soft Pilates ball and you take deep breaths and it really helps to 
regulate your parasympathetic system, especially taking those deep breaths, maybe a little longer on the exhale. And then also it kind of creates space. Like it maybe breaks up any adhesions in your core you might have. We tend to tighten our core all day, especially if we're anxious or we just suck it in. It also helps to like release the low back and all these things it's really helpful in. And so the biggest thing I do with every single one of my patients who comes in the door is I talk about the parasympathetic system and I talk about how we can bring some of these techniques into our daily life. I think that's great. And you know, one of the things as we talk about the sympathetic and parasympathetic is the sympathetic is our fight or flight. That's that cortisol, high stress, kind of go, go, go state, which you actually need that sympathetic state. If you didn't get that cortisol activation first thing in the morning, you wouldn't be ready to take on your day. So it's not that the sympathetic state is bad. People hear fight or flight and they necessarily, or their mind might think that is a bad thing to be stressed or to have cortisol. And stress is good and cortisol is good. It helps us to really thrive to really achieve our best performance. So we're not saying that that sympathetic state is bad, but in the United States and, you know, really all over the world, our sympathetic and parasympathetic system becomes really imbalanced where we're not getting into that parasympathetic state like we should. So I always think sympathetic, fight or flight, parasympathetic, rest and digest. And if you think about that sympathetic system being activated all day long, typically in that fight or flight, your muscles are a little tighter. So if you're really stressed and sitting, like you're going to have more muscle tension, which is going to also increase your risk of injury. So I do think that's a very important thing. And, and like Caitlin mentioned, activating the parasympathetic state, like I love the idea of the, you said it's gut smashing. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's awesome. I have not implemented that yet into my daily routine, but I want to, but I can feel a big difference just when I take a step back and practice slow, deep breathing Mm -hmm. that alone can really lower your cortisol and help get you into that parasympathetic state where you're able to rest and digest. I know this is a little off topic, but I just had a patient that was telling me that every day after lunch, she was having digestive issues. She was like having a hard time digesting her food. She felt really bloated and had abdominal pain. And when she started to take her lunch outside, practice some deep breathing, kind of lower those stress levels, really be present and eat her lunch. Those symptoms went away, which I think is just so cool. So the parasympathetic and sympathetic is really an important balance in life. So lifestyle factors, I think we really covered that well. Diet, we talked about protein, the importance of protein and collagen. The other thing to just touch on with the diet is sugar. I think we eat a lot of sugar in the United States, and that sugar really drives up inflammation. So just being aware of the connection with sugar and inflammation, I think, is huge. So we talked about diet, lowering sugar, increasing protein, sedentary lifestyles, really engaging the core optimizing sleep, primarily that deep sleep, reducing stress. I think all of those lifestyle variables are really uh, important and they can really impact the way we feel later down the road. So one of the big things Caitlin and I also are really passionate about and at Stat Wellness in general is really this whole concept of joint longevity. So a lot of times we are trying to achieve a certain goal. Like we want to run a marathon in 2020, or we want to compete in the CrossFit games, or, you know, we have these short-term goals that we try to achieve and, and we really push ourselves very hard to reach those goals. But we also really want to make sure that we're feeling our best down the road. And we really want to make sure we're supporting our joints, not for tomorrow, but for 20, 30, 40 years down the road. What are some of your favorite forms of exercise for people that really want to achieve their best self today, but also support their joints long-term? So contrary to what you might think, lifting heavy weights and doing resistance training is very helpful for our joints and our bones. So our bones 
respond to the stress placed on them. It's called Wolf's Law. If we get stressed, it's going to be where the bones form. Especially when we're young, we need that jumping and running and playing and all that stuff. But as we age, we start getting scared of doing those things because it might not feel good or we've been hurt and we don't want to hurt ourselves again. But it's so important that when we do strength training that we start by getting in the movement pattern down first because when we move, lots of things are happening, especially if we're doing like really functional moves where it's multi-joint all those muscles are playing a role on your joint. So our bone, I heard this once and it made me laugh, our bones are slaves to our muscles. And so they do whatever our muscles tell us to do. And so it's important that we have good strength and stability through our muscles that help support our joints. So if maybe we're sitting all day and we get really tight hip flexors and our glutes and posterior chain are a little bit more stretched out, now when we get up and move, we're kind of imbalanced a little bit and, and not necessarily just from sitting. There's other things that we can get imbalances from if we always hold our baby on the right side, stuff like that where we get this muscle shortening. That's going to play a role on our joints and how we move. So the biggest thing I think for joint longevity is to get some kind of combo of mobility training and strength training, whether that's yoga. Although I do have, you want to be mindful about what you're doing when you do yoga and why you're doing it. And same with strength training. You want to be mindful. I think it's so important that when we are choosing exercise, that we are intentional about why we're doing something. So if your goal is to build strength, or if it's just to be able to bend down and pick up your grandchild off the ground, you need to know why you're doing it and where you need to be working. And so I think that doing the strength training, starting out by getting down the functional pattern first, making sure that you don't have any mobility deficits, you need to address those. And then slowly, once you feel more confident in the pattern, let's load it. And you want to start slow and then you want to build. I was actually looking into research and it was showing that like, we really need to be pushing ourselves when we're strength training to get hypertrophy. We need to push ourselves to almost fatigue with those movements. And it doesn't necessarily mean that you have to max out to get fatigue. You can increase your reps and get to that same fatigue. So if you're more nervous about injuring yourself, you can still get that hypertrophy. You just need to get a little bit heavier weights. So I think it's really important that we have that nice blend of mobility and strength to support our joints. Our body is made to move in all directions, especially our spine. I keep hitting on this, but I think it's so detrimental that we are, we try to hold our spine straight all the time. It's actually made to move in all directions. You're supposed to be able to bend forward. You're supposed to be ex able to extend back, side bend, rotate. We want to be moving in all those spines. That's why I really love Pilates. When you go to a class, they make sure that you're moving in each direction of your spine every class. And so it's just important to kind of move. And then when we're ready to load, that we have that right form and just really paying attention to what we're doing, where we're feeling it and making sure it's not hurting because when it hurts, it tells our brain, Hey, this isn't fun. Let's not do this. So we've talked a lot about mobility deficits and the way we move. Do you think one of the big things that I, I see a lot is some people have really good body awareness and some people don't. So what would you recommend as we're talking about this for people? Is there a way for them to identify if they do have mobility deficits at home on their own or how can they kind of identify if they have good body awareness? Is it better to see a professional and do a movement screen first or are there some things that people can do at home? So it depends how much you have that uncoordination. I have seen people, and this is really not a great term, but in PT school, we called them motor morons. Um, and that is true. Like people can't really tell what their body's doing. I feel like I was like that until I really was starting to hone in on it. 
The first thing you can do that's the least expensive is just look at yourself in the mirror. Like raise your arms up overhead, raise them to the side, bring your knee to your chest, squat down, see what you, like how you're moving. Does one side feel tighter? Does one side feel unstable when you stand on your right leg versus your left leg? Those kind of things are something easy for you to do on your own, but I would recommend seeing someone because they're gonna be able to efficiently and effectively tell you what's going on with you because if you already can't sense what's going on in your body, looking in the mirror might help once you already know what to look at, but if you don't know what to look at, it might be a little confusing. So I think it is really important to see someone who's trained to kind of get do a quick screen. Like, let's check your mobility. Let's check your spinal mobility. Let's check what your strength is and what your movement patterns are for very functional tasks like hinging and squatting. So when you're using the term mobility, I know this is a little bit elementary, but are you literally saying the way you move? Oh, so mobility. I love this because when we think about mobility, we kind of think automatically our range of motion or like you said, how we move. But mobility is being able to control our motion through our entire range of motion. And it it means a lot of things. It's also like if we're mobile through our lives, like can we get up and go to the bathroom on our own? Can we walk to our car? Like, are we able to do those things? Like you have good mobility if you're able to do those things independently. But when I'm talking about mobility, I'm talking about having control through your entire range of motion. A lot of times people might be really flexible but flexibility is not mobility. Flexibility is, okay, I can grab your leg. Kristen, I know you have really flexible hamstrings and I can bring it all the way up. I'm over here in splits, by the way. <laughs> yeah, just imagine it. Um, but it's not, what about if you don't have the control that you can't actually maybe do lift that leg up all by yourself or do like a controlled hinge, getting that hamstring length. So it's really important that you focus on the mobility, like what you can control while maintaining good form. And one of the things that was easy for me to identify some asymmetries and um, some deficits, whenever I brush my teeth, I know some of you have probably heard this, but I stand on one foot for a minute and I stand on the other foot for a minute. And when I first started doing that, I was able to balance so much better on one side than the other. So maybe tonight when you go to brush your teeth, just try balancing on one foot and hold it for a minute and then the other foot and see if you have any deficits between that. Another place where I was able to identify some deficits was lunging. I have a lot more balance, control, and stability with one leg forward than I do on the other. And those are some places to me that became very transparent of some deficits that I have that I don't think a lot of people pay attention to, or maybe they just think, well, I'm stronger on that side and that it's not a problem. But from what you're saying is the way we move and the control we have is really a problem, making sure that we are balanced, making sure we have those mobility on the right and the left side of our body. So I think that's great. What about when we're talking about exercise? So we talked about workouts for joint longevity. We know strength training is really important. You know, I'm a huge advocate for strength training. Uh, Really, at stat we are. But I do, I think that it's important to really make sure you're moving through the motions well before increasing the weight. And that was something that you touched on, Caitlin, earlier when we were talking about that. So... Do you recommend like changing the reps and maybe the tempo of the workouts that you're doing to push that muscle group as you're trying to master the move? So let's say, for example, a squat, maybe you're having a hard time kind of uh, having good form in a squat. Is it better to change the reps, change the tempo, like maybe do some squats slower or faster to work the muscles more before loading that weight to prevent injuries? What are your thoughts on how to kind of progress that? So when looking at the squat, a lot of times people do have a hard time getting good form down. And so just by watching them, usually we can tell, okay, maybe they're lacking ankle mobility or hip mobility. Those are the two things I really see. And so you need to do 
how I like to do it is I like an external cue. So if you're having a hard time just getting the movement pattern down, which I really, my brain cannot process doing a back squat, front squat all day long. I think it's my femur length, but I cannot figure out how to sit back without an external cue. So I have to put a bench or a big medicine slam ball behind me, or I will not have a good pattern. I was literally having one of my friends watch me the other day. Cause I was like, I'm not going to have an external cue and my form was wonky. So I like to first give people an external cue to go towards like sitting down because everyone's and stands all day. And usually they can get that down quicker. And then if it's not so much the movement pattern, but it's maybe a mobility deficit, I like to be able to figure out how we can modify their movement so they can get the most range. And then I want to load it. So a lot of people maybe don't have great dorsiflexion, which is bringing your toes back towards your shins. Then I like to elevate your heels a little bit, and you're going to be able to squat down lower and maybe stay a little bit more upright. And so stuff like that is really helpful. Or I find a lot of times that people are very quad dominant. And so it's harder for them to activate their glutes. So let's add on something so that you remember to push those knees out and turn those glutes on. So it's all about what we can add to enhance your movement or what, like giving that external cue, I feel like is really important. And then I would say doing a few reps where you can get the form down, like doing one rep perfectly and then loading it isn't helpful because you still haven't in your brain kind of gotten that connection because we know that like the more neurons fire together, they wire together. So if someone's having a hard time, I would have them do 10, 15 reps, no weight, get the pattern down, take a little break, come back. Let's see that pattern. Do you still have it? Okay. Now let's load it. So I feel like that's probably where a lot of injuries come from with strength training and where some of maybe the fear comes from is that we're not establishing some good movement patterns before loading the bar. Well, I also think that people get scared when they're in the gym, especially if you're just going into a gym, which right now with COVID people aren't really doing that. But if you're going into a gym, I was seeing a research study that showed 65% of women and 36% of men are very nervous about judgment. So they're probably going to be like a little bit weird about their movements. And then also in a group fitness class, I see this all the time. You don't want to speak up as much because you're looking around at what other people are doing. Um, and at stat, we really pride ourselves on trying to like, be like, okay, tell us what you feel. Like, where do you feel it? Like, how is it looking? Let's change this. Let's have it be like an open dialogue between the trainer and you, because I have so many people who will do certain exercises and then at the end of the sets, they'll be like, oh, that kind of hurt my shoulder. I'm like, you just did four sets of that with heavy weight. Tell me first so we can adjust it so it doesn't hurt. Because again, we shouldn't have pain. Muscle burn, yes. Fatigue, yes. Feeling tired, yes. But pain, no. Yeah, I think that's great. And I think what you mentioned before of simple things like putting a band around your legs, or I've seen you with deadlifts, you'll put weights down so that you can hinge from a, not all the way down at the ground. Mm -hmm. Like maybe you don't have the flexibility to deadlift from the ground up and maybe you need some of those weights underneath. So it doesn't mean that a squat or a deadlift or overhead press is an exercise that maybe you can't do. You just have to adapt to have a good movement pattern, which I think that's awesome that you have that knowledge to do that. I know I don't have the same knowledge Caitlin does. So I'm always like, hey, what should I do in this in this move or position? One of the things that Caitlin's also really helped for me is breathing through exercises. So I know Caitlin obviously specializes in the pelvic floor as we talked about in her bio. And uh, we are going to do another podcast all about the pelvic floor. But even outside of that, when we're talking about like internal abdominal pressure and things like that, 
why is breathing through exercise important? I think that really goes with that movement matters is really breathing matters. So why does the way we breathe matter through exercise? And what are some cues to help people understand proper breathing techniques, especially as they're starting to lift heavier and heavier weight? So there is a lot of controversy out there on what to do and how to breathe properly with heavy lifting. I'm not going to talk about these bodybuilders who are doing Olympic style lifting and they're wearing the braces and they're holding their breath. I'm not going to touch on that right now, but let's talk about the everyday person coming in, maybe the mom or the guy in college coming in just to lift. They're still getting heavy, but they're not going to that point where they need that external support of a brace. I'm just going to clarify that. It is so important that we exhale on effort in my eyes because I understand the deep core. And so there's four muscles that are included in the deep core. We have our diaphragm, who is like the CEO. It starts the movement and keeps the pressure regulated. We have our pelvic floor. We have our transverse abdominis, which is one of our muscles that wraps around our core. It's our deepest layer. And then we also have our back stabilizers called our multifidus. All four of those gears have to turn together for our deep core to function properly. And so when we effectively breathe, which sometimes I've learned that it's not automatic for some people. We need to relearn how to breathe. But when we do that proper breath of inhaling, expanding the ribs, expand the abdomen, we get that stretch a little bit of the tissue, the deep core. And then when we exhale, we tighten that and it recoils back and it actually encourages us to tighten our deep core muscles. So when we're working out, it's important that we get that inhale to lengthen, just like thinking about a bicep curl. You're not going to stay at the top range of your motion the whole entire time because that muscle's not going to get stronger. It's just going to get tight. If we hold our abdomen in the entire workout, it's not going to be great. And then also for holding our breath, we're building that abdominal pressure during that effort and our pressure has to go somewhere. In most cases, it's going to go downwards because it's the weakest link. Not so much for guys because they only have one hole and females have three. So we're a little bit more susceptible to that downward pressure. But it's so important that we use that breath to help us stabilize through our core. So exhale on effort Mm -hmm. or exhale on exertion. Yeah, or exertion. Yes, whichever one you can remember. But try implementing that and see how you feel. I know it made a big difference for me, especially postpartum. So I know I always love to ask these really tough questions where both are really beneficial. But in your opinion, what do you think is more important? Is it purposeful exercise? Is it going to a gym and just, you know, getting a really effective workout? Or is it increasing the neat factor, which is non-exercise activity thermogenesis? I always love to put people on the spot with these questions because it's interesting to see how you answer them. It's so hard because you really do need both. So for your just overall health, like cardiovascularly, there are studies, I know you've seen them, where just moving around throughout your day, you're going to have better heart health than if you work out hard for one hour and then sit the rest of your day. So I'd say the first thing that you want to have is moving around throughout your day. But in order to keep yourself moving well and not having injuries, I do think it is so important to have that purposeful exercise. Maybe not for an hour, maybe 10 minutes, 20 minutes. You can get a lot done in that time. If you're intentional about what you're working, how you're moving and stuff like that, you can get a lot done. So I do think you definitely need both. And if you're completely sedentary right now listening to this, I do think the most important thing first is to just get up and move around throughout your day, park at the furthest parking spot, do a lap every time you have a phone call or you need to go to the bathroom, stand up and sit down before you sit down for meals. You'll start noticing that you feel good moving. And so then maybe it will encourage you to do some more intentional exercise. 
I think that's a good answer. It's a tough question because the answer is always when I, when I ask these questions, it's always both. So I think that's good. And one of the things that we see over time is muscle atrophy. So I know when I meet with some of my patients that don't have, you know, purposeful exercise, or maybe they didn't know what we know now about strength training. I think it's really fascinating that now we really women and men, like we feel empowered lifting weight. We understand the benefit of strength training when it comes to lean muscle mass, blood sugar control, strength, injury prevention, supporting our joints and connective tissue, hoping that if we are really, really strong, that when we fall, we're not going to fracture our femur and be put in the hospital. We're going to decrease our risk of, you know, osteoporosis, all of those things that we know now when it comes to strength training, but I see some patients that, you know, maybe they're 60 years old now, 50 years old, 70 years old, and they weren't purposely exercising. And if they were, their go-to was always cardio. And so we see this muscle atrophy over time, which does lead to more injuries. We're in a really exciting place where it's like, yes, let's strength train. Let's feel empowered. We're not going to buff up and become these Hercules by using a barbell. So I think that's a, a great answer and important. So as we're talking about that, I think this next question is really kind of right in line with that. I'm sure a lot of the listeners have heard no pain, no gain, but we do know, you know, not that we want to hurt people or injure people, but we do know that you really have to challenge yourself to see results. And you actually touched on this earlier, talking about hypertrophy and like in order to build muscle, you really have to push yourselves. How do you know how hard to push yourself without pushing to injury? How do you identify that? So I'm a little bit more on the conservative side because I think it's easier to progress later than to regress after you hurt yourself. So my biggest thing is I want people to feel comfortable and confident when they're moving and exercising and then add weight. And so the perfect example is actually a member that started almost a year ago now. When she first came in, she was did not feel confident doing a lot of the moves that we do in our strength classes at STAT. And today she was deadlifting like 145 or something with ease. And she knew, she, I can watch her without even telling her, she knows when to add weight. She knows when she might need to take off if it's maybe she's not feeling as good that day. So so I think it's so important that people understand their body, especially if you haven't been a mover in the past. I see this all the time, especially in the new year. People want to work out. They really do. They want to be healthy. They want to work out. They want to look good. And so they go, they get on this kick for one week. They're like, I'm going to run every day. I'm going to strength train. I'm going to do yoga, all this stuff. And then they hurt themselves. And then they're now discouraged. And it's that much harder to get going again because A, you might hurt still or you don't know what to do. So I think it's really important to get to know your body. And my biggest thing is find something that you actually like to do. So you don't need to do a certain exercise to be super fit. Like you can do whatever you love to do. And then you can kind of like progress those things. But it's so important that you like it first so that you keep doing it. Absolutely. And I think some of the other things with the progression and really challenging yourself, I do think it's important if you're going out and you're doing, let's say eight reps, like you should feel really tired by rep seven, rep eight. Like it shouldn't be easy for you to accomplish eight reps and you can knock out another eight reps back to back. So if you're really trying to gain lean muscle mass, I think it's important that you are pushing yourself and feeling that fatigue by the end. But as Caitlin mentioned earlier, like watching yourself in a mirror and watching your form, I think that's where the injury occurs, where you are no longer successfully able to do the exercise with good form. 
form. So I think it's really important to watch yourself. Make sure you are exhausted by the end of the reps, but make sure you're not losing form because that's going to end up leading to injury. And I also think one of the big things, especially with New Year's resolutions, is people don't prioritize recovery days. Recovery days are just as important as as the days you're working. Mm -hmm. So make sure, you know, if you guys are in that New Year's resolution still, I know when you're listening to this, it's probably February. Hopefully you're still going. If you are, just make sure that you're prioritizing the recovery time. Make sure you are pushing yourself a little bit outside of your comfort zone, but don't lose that form because that's going to lead to injury for sure. And confidence is key. So when you really can push yourself, you're going to be confident in what you're doing. And then that's going to give you the ability to push yourself to that limit, I think. So it's so important to like stick with it. Keep going. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. So if any of our listeners are struggling to find motivation to work out, where would you tell them to start? So I think, like I just said, finding something you really like doing. If you hate to run and you think the only way for you to get fit is to run, don't force yourself. So if you really like to dance around, what you can start doing is maybe at the end of every work day or the end of your day, you put on your favorite song and you dance around your kitchen or something. That's exercise. You're going to get your heart rate up. You're going to be jumping around. It's finding something small that you like doing and start being consistent because like Kristen said earlier, consistency is key. So whether you are a morning person and you can get up and go for a walk in the morning, or if you love yoga and you can do a yoga flow, there's so many free online resources and there's so many different things out there, finding what you like, sticking with that, and then expanding from there. My favorite thing to tell people is just adding in a little bit of mobility during your day. You always sit down to eat your food or hopefully you sit down to eat your food. I always do 10 squats before I sit down. So I'm getting them in at least three times a day. Or like Kristen said, standing on one leg while you brush your teeth. So like adding in these little movement snacks or challenges during your day is what's really helpful. I think that's great. Little by little, little becomes a lot. That's what this whole podcast is about. So what is a movement myth that you want to bust? I have so many that I want to bust. So maybe another time I'll do more than this one. But my biggest one, I touched on it earlier, is deadlifts are not bad for your back. I think that I actually just watched a continuing ed from, it's they're called ICE. It's Institute of Clinical Excellence. Love them. They're physical therapy, continuing ed company. But they were talking about how we need to be treating people with low back pain with deadlifts because like I said earlier, we don't want to use our backs when it hurts. And so we do everything we can. We start bending over in the weirdest ways ever to keep our spine nice and straight. We don't want to move it. We don't want to load it, but actually to keep us from having back pain, we need to load that tissue and those muscles. And so deadlifts when done properly are excellent for people who have low back pain and everyone should be doing them. It's a very functional move. You do a deadlift without even realizing it every day, probably hinging to pick something over. So I think that's true. And it is a functional move. A lot of people, they say like, well, I don't want to do powerlifting. I'm like a deadlift isn't a, isn't a powerlifting move. A deadlift is a, a functional something move up off the ground. <laughs> and it's going to help you be able to do that when you're 80 years old and you need to grab something from the ground. So I think that's great. So I know you kind of touched on this with the movement motivation, but I don't know if there's anything else that you want to share with our listeners about some little changes that they can do starting today. Is there anything you want to expand on that? I think the biggest thing you can do for yourself is figuring out what you like to do movement wise and when you like to do it. Again, you can't force yourself into being someone that you're not like there is such thing as a morning person and an evening person. So if you're like, 
really make it easy for yourself. Like pick a time that you know that you like moving and you feel good after you move and you're still able to sleep and all that kind of stuff. So finding things you like and sticking with them and then really starting to gain some confidence with it as you do it more consistently. I think that's true. If you see all your friends, you know, that get up at 5 a.m. to go hit the gym and you hate getting up and you're not a morning person, you shouldn't try to put yourself in that box. You may be somebody that's better to, you know, get a lunch workout in. So I think that's great. One of the things I always talk to my patients about is really looking at your schedule each week and putting movement on there like it's any meeting. Mm -hmm. You are prioritizing if you have a, you know, depending on your job, you are putting meetings on your schedule. Maybe it's even to meet a friend for a coffee or a tea, you know, pre-pandemic. I don't know if you're doing that now, but you're putting meetings on your schedule all the time and you're holding yourself accountable to be there, but you don't put these movement things on your schedule unless you're signing up for a group fitness class. So hopefully look at your weeks, start plotting out when you're going to get those movements in that exercise. in. also remember to increase up that neat factor, that non-exercise activity thermogenesis, and just kind of to wrap up today of why movement matters. I think there's some key pieces that we touched on that your body, it moves as, as a whole. And I think that really includes our internal health as well. So the way we're eating, the way we're sleeping, the way we're managing stress, it matters. The way we move matters. I also think it's really important. We touched on that the mind and the body is connected. So if we're really stressed, we're going to feel the stress physically. We talked about the sympathetic and the parasympathetic system. We talked about ways to add more. And I like that Caitlin said this, you don't want to stay sitting or stay standing all day. The posture that's best is the next posture. So going from sitting to standing to moving, those are really important tips that we incorporate into our day, really making sure that we're moving to that fatigue, but not moving to where we're failing in the exercise move. Really, that's going to lead to injury. So I think we hit a lot of really good points today. And it was really exciting, Caitlin, having you on the podcast. And as I mentioned at the very beginning, you should check her out on Instagram at poise underscore PT. We would also love for you to check out stat wellness. Caitlin shares a lot of exercises, physical therapy on her own Instagram. And then through stat wellness, she sees patients one-on-one. So maybe you're looking for a personal trainer that has physical therapy background. She does that. She does functional movement screens to help identify some of those mobility deficits before there's injuries. So if you want to sign up for that, you can look on our website. And the coolest thing is Caitlin also offers 15 minute free consults. So maybe you're interested in just having a call with her or seeing her in person to find out if she would be the right fit for you. That is a free 15 minute consult. You can just go to statwellness.com and sign up for that with Dr. Caitlin Raymond. Any parting words before we wrap up today? That was awesome. I was thinking of one thing quickly to share if our phone kind of does it for us now, but if we add up the amount of time we're scrolling through Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, we would be able to get a killer workout in. (laughs) (laughs) That is true. I know it's always scary when they tell you the amount of time that you've been on your phone per day. So let's use that time a little bit differently (laughs) and add some movement snacks. Thank you guys so much for tuning in and reach out to us if you have any questions. We will have Caitlin back on hopefully to talk about some pelvic floor dysfunction. Thank you for tuning in. And as always, remember, little by little, a little becomes a lot. Even the smallest changes over time can lead to total mind and body transformation. I'd love for you to stay connected with at Dr. Kristen Oja and at Stat Wellness on Instagram. And if you have any questions, be sure to reach out. I'd love to hear from you.